encounter. If you can create this kind of atmosphere on Sundays, whenever you bring your friends and your families, God's, God's about to do something. Because yeah. you, have, you, you have what this world needs. I used to come to this part of the city um, many years ago. There, it, 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 was, it was different back then. I used to come here to go up to a particular store. How many of you remember New Generation? Wow, wow, you, that, may, that may mean you're old. That, that may be what that means. But there was this cool store over here called New Generations, and I used to come, and it had all the, all the high-tech stuff. It was, the, it was the best buy of its day. And, uh, you know, I, I know it's changed, but I'm telling you, you have what this area needs. And I was thinking, you know, when, when Philip uh, told us, um, it shared with us the vision of what God was laying on his heart about changing the name of the church, and, and encounter, um, I thought about, there's, there's a verse in the book of Exodus. I think it's chapter 33, verse 11. I don't think I know because I just looked it up. And <laughs> because I used it, I used it in a series that we just did. And the Bible says this. The Bible says that God would speak to Moses face to face as a friend. As, as one man would talk to his friend. And I, you know, I, I would never, I would never presume to try to, to try to say my place is to cast vision for someone else's house. But I believe I know Philip's heart enough to know that somewhere in there, there's that idea that you want people to have a face-to-face encounter with God. A face-to-face. And I'm telling you, it's, many people know about God. They, they know of God. They know people who know God. But I'll tell you what they need to know. What you need to have is a face-to-face encounter with Jesus and realize that he wants to communicate with you like a friend. He wants to treat you like a friend. All right. Well, today I am. A, I've been tasked with the uh, with the job of talking about embracing change. Um, I have a little bit of experience in what you guys are going through, um, and that's why I have a lot of respect for Philip and for Kelly. And I just want you to know, by the way, Kelly was a HOF girl. Come on. Before Philip swooped in and and and, and stole one of our. Still one of our best. No, no, we, we, look, we, we, we consider, yeah, I tell you how we consider all that. We, we were sowing seeds into the nation. We know, you know, it was, if you give, God will give back to you. Come on. And God gives seed to the sower. But no, so proud of you, Kelly. I just, I probably don't tell you that enough. Uh, I see them a lot. Our kids play soccer together and, and we see each other, you know, socially a little bit. Uh, but really proud of you and Philip and what you're doing here. And uh, I so admire what you're doing. I really do. My story is this. My dad founded our church and for 27 years pastored it under one name. And then I'm the, I'm the son. I come in and I changed the name. Changed the vision. Changed everything. And uh, not everybody liked it. You know, you, you have a huge advantage because you're the founder. So, you know, people are going to say, well, he founded it. He called it Heart Seas and now he wants to call it Encounter. Okay. And, and, and I think that's great. Um, but I really have a lot of respect for you because um, I'm just sitting here and, and just, just, just trying to hear God. And, and I want to encourage you and I want to I speak into your life. But I really believe um, that God's going to do, God's about to do some new things here in this place. And the name change is just the tip of the iceberg. It's, it's just, it's the outward that everybody sees but I believe there's a lot of inward that God is going to do. So I want to talk to you about embracing change, embracing change. How many of you have ever heard of a guy named Reed Hastings? Of course, no one has. 
you don't, you don't know who he is, but when I tell you the story, you all know who Reed Hastings is. You just didn't know why you knew him. How many of you remember the uh, company? The fact, there was one right down here on the corner of Sherwood Forest and Florida. There was, used to be a Blockbuster down there, Blockbuster Video. Who remembers Blockbuster Video? They, they are no longer in business. And I'll tell you why they are no longer in business. Um, originally, Blockbuster was a thriving company. It, it provided a service that up until that point, we didn't even know we could have. You know, all of us have gone to the movies, but how could you watch your favorite movie at your home? Well, Blockbuster figured out a way that you could go and rent them. The, the problem was, and it, it grew phenomenally. At one time, Blockbuster was a Fortune 500 company. So what that means is it made a lot of money. One of their biggest sources of revenue was the late fee. Come on, did you ever bring a movie back late? And, and you had to pay a late fee for keeping it too long. In fact, one year, listen to this, one year, um, they, they made $800 million in late fees. $800 million in late fees. Well, one day this man named Reed Hastings, that you don't know who he is, he walked in to return the movie Apollo 13. And he was charged a $40 late fee. And he said, Blockbuster, we have a problem. And Reed Hastings would go on to develop the company known as Netflix. Anybody ever heard of Netflix? And Netflix put Blockbuster out of business. All because he paid $40 late fee. Now, at one time, Blockbuster, they would have said, we're successful. I mean, look, if you make $800 million, you're a success in my book. But here's, here's the truth that I want you to, to, to take away from this. The biggest threat to your future success is your current success. And we mistakenly believe that what we've always done will continue to make us successful. If there's one thing I know about life, the one constant in all of life is the fact that everything changes. You're changing. The community's changing. Um, Everything is changing except for God. The Bible says God never changes. But I want you to think about it in this context. Because God never changes, it means everything else must change. If He remains constant, it means I have to change. It means our church has to change. It means the way we look at our community has to change. And so change is inevitable. It's going to happen whether you like it or not. But progress is optional. The world's going to change. People are going to change. Businesses are going to come. Businesses are going to go. But the fact is, change is inevitable, but progress is optional. Are you going to go forward? Are you going to grab your destiny and seize what God's got for you? Are you going to become more than you are right now? Because the opportunity is here. God makes it available to you. You can be more than you are. When I read about what the scripture says about us, the Bible plainly over and over tells us, eye has not seen, ear has not heard. What God has in store and in mind for those who love Him and those who have faith. So the, so the possibility for more is infinite. 
and so it is for what was Hearts East Church and now Encounter Church. You know, the Jews were God's chosen people. And change came. And it looked like a carpenter's son. Looked like Jesus. And because he didn't fit the mold of what they had always seen, because he didn't do what they had always seen people do, because he didn't act the way they always acted, because he didn't talk like they taught, he didn't teach what they taught, and he didn't do what they did. And there were some that embraced him. The sick embraced him. The desperate embraced him. The ones who had a need embraced him. But I tell you, the ones who couldn't, the ones who were self-satisfied, they missed, and, and a whole nation missed, missed what had been prophesied to them for thousands of years. They missed it. They missed the change. God brought change, and it was there, and they missed it. Why? Well, they couldn't embrace change in their life. So I want to give you, I want to give you some, some, some ways to embrace change. And the first thing I want, to, I, want, I want to encourage you to do is change the way you think about change. Change... The way you think about change. A common belief is that people resist change because they hate change, but that's not true. People love change, especially when it's their idea. Come on, who doesn't like a good haircut? Come on, guys. Is there any day better than fresh haircut day? I mean, you look good. You feel good. I mean, when you're a guy, you, a new haircut, it's, it's a great day. Uh, how about you like to change cars? Everybody like to get a new car? Of course we like to get new cars. A new outfit? Come on, you know when you come to church and you got a new outfit on, outfit on and you bought it and you know you look good? You can't wait to get to church on that Sunday. I mean, people will hire trainers to change the way their body looks. They will take classes to change how their mind functions and, and change what they know. But there are two times people will change. The first one is when they have to. Don't, I have a friend that wrote a book. He said, change before you have to. And I'll tell you how he wrote the book. Um, his name is uh, Rob Ketterling. He pastors up in, in Milwaukee. Uh, I'm sorry, Minnesota, in, in, in Apple Valley, Minnesota. And he was, he was in a discussion with some friends at dinner, and they were talking about, you know, sometimes married couples do this, especially as you get a little older. You start talking about, man, what would happen if my spouse died? Now, for some of you, that's probably a reality. And, and Rob said this, and he's, he's got this wife. She's pretty fit and all. And, and Rob said, you know, if my wife died, he said, I'd have to get in shape or I'd never, I'd, I'd never, uh, I would never find another wife. I guess he was, felt like he was out of shape. And his wife said, whoa, wait a minute. You mean you would get in shape for another woman, but you won't do it for me? Out of that came the book, Change Before You Have To. And I tell you what, Rob's a pretty fit guy right now. You just need, you need to know that. It was get in shape or divorce, I think, is, is kind of how it came down. So sometimes we change because we have to. Or we can change because we want to. And I want you to know something. God, God's trying to bring you into something more, into something better. Now, to your natural mind, it may seem like it's difficult. It may seem like you're going uphill. Everything good in life is uphill. 
Nothing, none of the great stuff that you have. If you're going to be healthy, if you are going to be spiritual, if you are going to be influential, if you are going to be effective, none of that stuff is easy. If it was easy, everybody would be doing it. And so God says, I want to bring you into something more, but you have got to buy into what God's doing and you have to want to change. We didn't change the church to say that the old was wrong. You know what? I I don't believe what Philip and Kelly are trying to say is that heart's ease was wrong. What they're saying is that God's got more and that there's something more that God wants to do in our midst. Jesus wasn't, Jesus didn't come to, to, to change the Jewish faith, if you will, because it was wrong. He came, he came to fulfill the law, the Bible said. He came to take the law instead of having it written in scrolls and on stone tablets. He wanted to write it on their hearts and internalize what God was doing. So we've got to give up this illusion that somehow we are in control of anything in our life. Have you come to that? Have you come to that reality yet? You are not in control. But God is. You are not in control, but God is. And so, and so um, we pray to the God who is in control to move in our heart and into our life. And, and we respond to him. So people, and you'll never know how good the new is until you get fed up with the old. You never know how good the new is until you, get, until you let go of the old. And as leaders, we must embrace change as part of who we are. Let me just tell you, I know it, it seems like a name change. And, and it seems like on the surface, that's it. But I believe what, what God is doing here is God is trying to create a culture where change is normal, a normal part of your church life. Where we never get, we, we never get tied to things that, that can't be used anymore. You, you know, one thing about the church world is we have this, um, we, we hold on to things that God used. And, and here's, here's a great story out of the Bible. Remember, um, remember Samson. The Bible said that one time Samson used the jawbone of a donkey and he killed thousands of people. And then the Bible says he threw away the jawbone. You know what we'd like to do? We would like to start the church of the jawbone. And, and, you know, if you don't use a jawbone like I use a jawbone, you're not really living for God. Because, because God used it for me, we all want to use jawbones. But I love it. He used it, he defeated the enemy, and then he tossed it aside. And he didn't try to carry that jawbone with him through the rest of his life. And it's the same way it is. God uses things. God uses methods. God changes. He's always changing, finding new and creative ways to touch people's hearts and bring them to a knowledge of him. And I'll tell you this, people would rather follow a person who is always real than one who's always right. That means you don't have to know everything to be a great leader. In fact, I find the more I lead, the more questions I have. I know less now than when I started, which is scary because I didn't know much when I started. Which is really scary. And I just just find the longer I... We're, you know... um, we, I changed the name of our church, and then what happened was uh, uh, I, was, I didn't have a vision, really. I had a position as a pastor and no vision because my dad, you know, in the leadership, they saw fit to make me the senior pastor, and I got into a position to lead and didn't really have a vision. So what I tried to do was copycat a bunch of other people. And I, I, I'd created a Frankenstein ministry, you know, a little bit of this, a little bit of that, sew it all together. 
and this is about how kind of church we were. That was about the kind of church we had. And then, and then I was begging God, God, I need a vision. I mean, who, who am I? What are we supposed to do? God dropped a vision verse in our heart. We changed the name of the church. And I'm telling you, instantly it changed everything about the culture of our church. And, uh, and, and, and just recently, you know when you don't change, just recently there was a church in our area that had dwindled down to 11 people. Now, they had great buildings. In fact, they had six acres, 14,000 square feet of buildings, $200,000 in the bank. But they had no vision, and they weren't reaching anybody. And when you walked inside the building, it looked like a time warp back to 1965. That's what I love about this place. Every time I come here, it's different. I found the bathroom this morning. I was like, yes. I remember where it was at. They didn't change the hallways. I went through it the same way. Good signage. But I'm telling you, that's what, it, and, and that's happening in churches all across. Now, God hasn't changed. God still loves people. God is still saving. The Holy Spirit is still real. He's, he's breaking change. You guys sang about it. So what's wrong? Well, when you don't embrace change, you begin to fossilize. And I'll tell you what, God will pass you. He'll pass us by. Why don't you do what you've always done? Well, why do we have to change? Well, Mark chapter 2, verse 22 is one of the reasons why. No one pours new wine into old wineskins. No one. Now, we don't use wineskins, but, and I don't know, that, that probably may have been used in this, or will be used today. If, Terry, if you were going to use that, sorry, brother. I mean, we, we didn't all compare notes, so I don't know who's using what. But, but you know, they used animal skins to carry liquids. And, and, and when, they were, when they were fresh, they were... You could put wine in them because wine gives off, um, gives off a gas because it's still going through a process. So you need that, that flexibility. And when the skins got old, they got stiff, like an old car chamois. Come on, you ever, an old car chamois, it dries up, and, and you got to wet it before you can use the thing. Well, that's exactly how people become. That's how churches become. God would never put something new in something old because it will ruin it. He never put something new in something old because he'd ruin it. He said, otherwise the wine will burst the skins and both the wine and the wine skins will be ruined. See, that's why it's pointless for us to say, you know, we keep saying, God, do something new in me. Do something new in me. And what God says, no, I want you to do something new so I can do something new. See, if you'll do what you've never done, you may see a God you've never seen before. They pour new wine into new wineskins. And so we want to change some things about our life. And I do it routinely in various areas of my life. One of the things I just changed was, was about the way I eat. We were starting 21 days of prayer, and I just I felt like the Lord was dealing with me about the way I eat. It's not easy. Come on, who knows it's not easy to change the way you eat. But you just, you know, when, when God illuminates an area, you've got to be willing to change. And I just, I want you, number one, to change the way you think about change. Number two is this, is you've got to discern what needs to change. Some of you have a problem right now and you don't know it. Your spouse is unhappy. You, you, ever, you ever meet these couples and uh, one of the couples... All of a sudden comes out, I'm leaving. And the other one says, I didn't even know there was a problem. 
You cannot imagine how often that happens. Your spouse is unhappy. Some of you, maybe it could be that your child is messing around in something that's dangerous and you don't even know it. Sometimes we have a problem and we don't even know it. In fact, you know what's worse is when we have a problem and we tolerate the problem. See, we've got to discern what needs to change. I firmly believe that God is speaking to us about things in our life that, that he's trying to deal with us. Because here's what he sees. Down the road, if you keep this up, if you go down the road in this thing, it's not going to end well for you. God loves you so much. He is trying to bring things in your life so you can change. Why can't we? There's a great story in the scripture where Jesus and, and, and his inner circle, Peter, James, and John, were on the mount, often called the Mount of Transfiguration. They come off the mountain, and they find the other disciples trying to pray for this boy and cast the devil out of this boy, but they can't do it. And they've drawn this crowd. It's getting controversial, and Jesus walks right into this mess. And... Of course, he cast the demon out of the boy, and he's made well. And, and the disciples, this is a great learning moment for all of us. The disciples at the end of it, they, um, they ask him, they say, Jesus, why couldn't we do this? I'm going to tell you something. That's a great question for you to ask yourself. Why, why, why can't I tithe? Why, why can't I lead a small group? Why can't I serve my church? Why can't I get past this sin, this, this addictive behavior in my life? It's, you know what? A lot of times what we do is, is we avoid our failures in life. But I'll tell you what, it's, it, it, it's better to ask yourself, why am I failing, than to be a success at something that doesn't really matter. And it's a great thing to ask, why? why, why? You know, we've, we've had to ask ourselves this, why aren't we growing? You know, if, if you don't feel well, you go to the doctor and they do things like x-rays and scans and, and they check your vitals and they're trying to find what's wrong. And, and sometimes as a believer, one of the best things you can ever find out is what's wrong. Because I guarantee you this, God in his grace wants to give you the grace to overcome it and to move forward and to make progress in your life. Amen. That's what God wants to do. And he said this. And Jesus said this, he told the disciples this, he said, he said, you unbelieving and perverse generation. Now, he wasn't being ugly. That sounds ugly to us, but he said, there's two reasons why. Number one, he said, you, you, you don't believe, you don't have faith. He said, one of the reasons, one of the reasons we, we're not further along than we are is because of our faith level. How do you increase your faith? The Bible says, faith comes by hearing a word Really, in the original language, it means when you hear a word or you remind yourself about why Jesus came. Because what happens, you can be in church so long, you forgot that Jesus came not just to change you from your lost self, but to keep changing you. To keep, to keep giving you grace. To keep helping you go where you've never gone before. To keep growing you. And he says, we're just unfaithful. And I, I'll tell you what, this morning, what, one of the things that I pray for the people in this room is that, you know what, let me just encourage you. You need to have a regular quiet time with God. Look, Sundays are good. An encounter conference is good. But nothing will take the place of you being a self-feeder, getting in your Bible, and letting God speak to you. 
That's what's going to build your faith. It's not about I can. It's about God will. It's what God wants to do. And then he said the other thing is he said, um, well, let me just say, my, I read a guy named John Maxwell. He's a leadership guru. And he said, he, I heard him say this recently at a conference. He said, if it's been more than two or three days since you've got a word from God, he said, something's wrong in your life. What happens is you become unbelieving. You can serve in the church and be an unbelieving. I, I don't mean you don't believe in God, but you don't believe your situation can change. Nothing worse than believers that just get okay with maybe a little sin or a little sickness or, or a little dysfunction. And just think, well, I guess that's the way it's supposed to be. It's not supposed to be that way. It is. It might be the way it is. But you've got to keep throwing yourself out there on the edge of faith, believing God for every situation. God, you know what? This is where I am with my wife and I. It's not good. But God, I believe you can make it better. I believe. God, I believe you. Show me. Show me how to be a better husband. And then he said this. He said, one thing is you're unbelieving. Then he said, he said perverse. That word perverse means you have a twisted view of life. You, you don't see things the right way. You, you don't see things the way they really are. You don't see things from God's perspective. Your perspective is too low. When you're in it, The problem looks insurmountable, but you're not in it. The Bible says, Paul plainly says that we're seated with Christ in heavenly places. And what you need is a shift in perspective and see it from God's point of view. I tell you what, man, I believe if we could ever see all these basic things, if we could see, just see church from God's point of view, it would change the idea of the way we, we do church. That's why David could say, I was glad when they said unto me. And he said things like, I'd rather spend one day as a doorkeeper in the house of God than a thousand years elsewhere. See, he had a different perspective. And so that's what Jesus said. He said, you know, he said, we have a distorted view. Well, these, you know, we think, well, these people don't care about God. See, that's a distorted view. Well, maybe God's not moving like that. That's a distorted view. Maybe this is all that God ever wanted us to be. That's a distorted view. And Jesus said, when you don't believe and you've got the wrong picture in your mind, that's what leads us to the place where we can't. And that's what they came in private. They said, why, why couldn't we drive it out? Great question to ask. And Jesus just began to encourage them. You, what, what you need is just a little more faith. Look, you, you, you don't need my faith or somebody else's faith. You just need a little more faith. Amen. You need a, just another mustard seed. Another mustard seed of faith. He was telling them, you could, you could do anything. You could do anything. You could do anything that God put in your heart to do, that God has gifted you to do, that God has called you to do. And he said, that kind of spirit comes out only if you use fasting and prayer. And I tell you, nothing builds your faith more than, than prayer and devotional time. And nothing, nothing will help your view of the world more than fasting. Now, here's where I'm going to define fasting. You've got to find a way to unplug from the world for a season. <laughs> so you can plug into God. And today, you know, I don't know however God leads you. I don't know. Thank you, sir. 
I don't know if, you know, we do this routinely in our church, and um, I don't tell people how to fast. I just ask them to pray and let God teach you. You know, God can do more sometimes if you'll unplug for three days than all the sermons you ever hear. It's amazing what, what, what can happen if you just kind of maybe turn off social media for three days. Say, so I'm going to read my Bible. I'm going to turn off my TV. I'm going to turn off Netflix. I'm going to turn off Facebook. I'm going to turn off Instagram, Snapchat. I'm going to read my Bible. It's just for three days. I'm not, I'm, not, I'm, I'm not giving up. For, I'm, just, I'm just unplugging so I can get a clearer picture of what this thing's supposed to look like. I'm telling you, God... God could change your heart. God could change your life in, 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 in quickly. Your faith would grow. Your view of life would get clearer, and your life would change. Well, Scott, that, that's, that, that's pretty extreme. Wow, man, you're, you're just kind of, you're out there. You're, that's kind of radical. You know, no Facebook. Ooh, I don't even know if I could survive without Facebook. <laughs> Let me just tell you, the last time we fasted, just to help you, the last time in, we fasted, God spoke to me about something I needed to fast. And this is what he told me. I was laying in my bed one morning, and, he, and I was, I'm, I'm leading the church in this, and so I'm praying about what I'm going to do. And God said, Scott, there's one thing you look forward to even more than you look forward to spending time with me. And he said, that's the thing I want you to give up. And I would just say this. If there's anything you look forward to in the morning more than connecting with your Savior, might be helpful to lay that down for a little while. And then pick it up with a new view of life. In its proper perspective. In its proper perspective. Here's the third thing. Be bold. Be bold when you make a change. Tweaks never change your life. God's not calling you to tweak things. Changing the way you do something is not bold. Taking a risk to do something you've never done, that's bold. In order to be bold, you've got to change the questions you're asking yourself. What's changing in my life? You need to ask yourself that question. What is changing in my life? Recently, my oldest son got married. It's my, of course, the first one that got married, moved out of the house. Huge change for our family. You know, before that, family time meant we cook a meal. We have a table big enough for all four of our children to sit down. And I can't, I can't explain to you how fulfilled I was sitting at the table in my home with all of my four kids, and we're eating a meal and just enjoying life. Well, that's, that's gone. So we've got, that's what's changing in my life. So that doesn't mean God still doesn't want me to have a family life. But we got to do something different. we got a new daughter-in-law now that's part of the equation. And we love her. She's a precious Young woman of God, we love her, and we're glad to have her part of our family. But it's changing. All right? Here's another question, and I just say this for the married folks. If you got divorced, what's the first thing you do? Because you might want to start doing that now (laughs) while you are married. I tell you, I've I've watched people. I'm just going to go. Philip, is it okay if I be a little controversial? All right. I'm, I've watched people divorce, and then they get in the gym and get in shape. And then I say, well, you know, if you'd have done that maybe while you were married, you might have saved your marriage. 
I watch them all of a sudden, they get divorced and they become fun. They start doing things. Like if you'd have been fun when you were married, you might have saved your marriage. What's the one thing that if it got better, it would make a huge difference in your life? What is the one thing? What's the one thing if you did? What is the one thing if you did? Because you, you, look, you know yourself. A lot of times we, we, we're not honest with ourselves, but you know yourself. What's the one thing if you did that? You know it would make a huge, uh, maybe it's financial. Get your financial house in order. Maybe it's, maybe it's relational. Maybe it is, uh, you know, maybe, maybe it's spiritual. Maybe, maybe there's a call of God in your life. There's something. You know God's got his hand on you. He's, he's, been, he's been messing with you. He has been urging you, and you've just been resisting, and you just need to say yes. What's the one thing if you did that right now and make a huge difference in your life? And I would just want to encourage you. This is a day of new beginnings. This is a time of change. Your pastor's leading the way. They, they're leading the way by being an example. You, look, they could have just written it out and said, oh, it's too much trouble. It's too expensive. It's too confusing for people. But I'm telling you, your pastor's leading the way and saying, you know what? If this is where God's leading us, we are going to lead the way. We are going to change. We are going to pay the price. We are going to make the changes. We are going to answer the questions. And then we're going to see God do something move. Can I pray for you today? Father, I pray right now for my friends here at Encounter Church. And God, my prayer is that, is that you would create a culture in this house that's willing to move with the Spirit of God. Because, God, you're always moving. You're never predictable. We never know when or how you might show up in our heart, in our life. We never know who you'll use. I think about Jesus. He went from town to town. He was always on the move. And, God, we know that you are on the move. So, God, I'm praying for a culture of change in this house, God. God, and as we embrace this, God, not only for us personally, but but as a corporate body, God, as we embrace this idea, God, that you are changing us, that we are always, um, we're always remaking ourselves into the image of Christ, that when we find out something doesn't work, we're willing to lay it aside and instead ask you to show us something that will work. God, we God as 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 that culture is created. God, I'm I'm praying over this place that God that Encounter Church will see what heart sees never could see. God, that they will walk in things. God, because Philip and Kelly have been willing to follow your voice. God, I bless them. I bless every leader in this house. Everyone who wears the shirt. God, I pray for those that are not sure. I pray for those that are got questions. God, I pray for them. God, I pray that you'd help them, God, to follow the vision of the house. God, that they would truly 
be disciples. You know what it means to be a disciple? It means you follow somebody. God, I pray that in this house you'll raise up disciples. And because they're willing to change, they're going to bring change wherever they go. God, they're going to see change where they work. They're going to see change in their homes. God, you're going to, God they're going to find a fresh and new anointing, God. They're going to rise in their positions. God, I'm, God, I'm praying for favor. God, I pray that verse, Exodus 33, 11, that God talked to Moses face to face. God, I pray, God, just like the name says, people are going to walk into this place, and, they're, and God, they're going to meet you face to face. The one from the children's stories, the one that they've heard about, the one who has been misrepresented. God, they're going to meet you for who you are. And in this place, they're going to end up being friends of God. Friends of God. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. 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 Come on. Who enjoyed that today? Wow. Wow. What a great message.